title of today's message is The Dignity of Human Life. Our English word dignity comes from a Latin root word meaning worthiness. You may have heard in church circles over the years uh, the sanctity of human life or the dignity of human life. And today I've titled the message that because I want to talk about the scriptural principle and the basis of our belief that every, every human life has intrinsic worth and value. This gets into some messy areas. What about issues involving rape? What about issues involving abuse? Let me say unequivocally and clearly, according to God's word, every human life has value and worth intrinsic. That means built in to it by God. So we're going to talk about that today. But since the beginning of history, uh, many people have held a high view of humans' worth or their value, but there have been others who have unfortunately had a low view of human life. This conflict is not new. If you've read the story in Genesis chapter 4, Cain killed his brother Abel over something <laughs> I, I can say this kind of flippantly and casually over something church-related, religious-related. He killed his brother over something that could have easily been fixed by him over something that small. He ended a life, and not just a life, but his own flesh and blood. That tells me that he had a very low view of what the worth of a human is. But you fast forward to Genesis chapter 9, and the floodwaters have receded. God's ordained a path for redemption already. He's giving instructions to Noah before they get off the ark and start populating, repopulating the earth with this fresh start for humanity. And listen to what it says in Genesis chapter 9, verse 6 and 7. God's word directed towards Noah, he says this, Whoever sheds the blood of man... Okay, this is humankind, not just men, but men and women. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For God made man in his own image. Verse 7 says, And you be fruitful and multiply, increase greatly on the earth, and multiply in it. God himself demands that we humans take a high view of human life. The reason for this is clear and can be found in the very first chapter of the Bible. In Genesis chapter 1 verse 27, it says this, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So truth number one in the message today is this, humans are made in the image of God. In the image of God, we were made. Today's message is not about gender ideology or anything that's influencing things that uh, affect marriage or anything like that. But let me state this clearly. The verse we just read says God created male and female, both of which are created in the image of God. Now, 
This is not just about Adam and Eve. You need to make sure that you grasp this for apologetic's sake. That means for um, argument's sake or for discussion's sake. You need to understand that all human life has the image of God. We bear God's image on the earth. That's why we have Ten Commandments. Because God wants us to protect human life. He wants us to guard and be be um, be aware of how to treat one another and also him. But the ancient Romans and the Greeks treated certain humans as expendable or disposable. Their view of a human's worth, listen to me, you can look this up in history, in historical records, their view of human's worth was based on their gender at different times. It was based on their physical features or it was based on their capabilities. It was based on their economic status, who they were born to, and other criteria. And if you didn't fit into those boxes, then you were expendable. You were disposable. In the 1930s, the world witnessed a tragedy. It is what we would term a genocide. The Nazis sought to exterminate every Jew living in Europe And by so doing, in their attempt, they successfully murdered over six million Jews. One race, one portion of the race against another portion of the race. In the early 1990s, and don't think this is just something from history that doesn't happen today. Let me give you this example from the 90s, but I'll tell you something is still going on today. In the 1990s, early on, about 93, 94, you can look this up. You probably remember this. Most of you would. There was something that we now call the Rwandan genocide. It was one ethnic group of people against another ethnic group of people in a civil war that ended with over 800,000 people being killed. Today, there is an ongoing and has been for the last decade or more an ongoing genocide in Africa, on the continent of Africa, in a place called Darfur, in the, in the country of Sudan. Still today, people are being eliminated. They have a low view. Do you understand where I'm going? They have a low view of the dignity or the value of a human life. Most staggering, though, is the ongoing genocide that is been committed in the United States annually. In the United States of America in the year 2019 alone, 629,898 human babies were aborted in the United States alone. This is not a made-up statistic. I can show you where I verified this online, several resources. I want you to think about that number. 629,000. Worldwide statistics are even more staggering than that. Across a five-year span between the years 2015 to 2019... And these are, these are the ones that are reported. So you need to understand more happened than gets reported. 
73 million human babies were aborted per year worldwide. That is staggering. Just in a five-year period of time, the math for this nearly blew my mind. And I want you to absorb this morning what that number looks like. If you multiply 73 million times five, the number you end up with is 369,050,000 human lives in just a five-year period of time. You say, Pastor, I came here today to be encouraged. I heard there's supposed to be joy in the house of the Lord today. We've got a victory to celebrate. Yes, we do have a victory to celebrate, but there is much work to be done after this celebration. The reality is sickening and staggering when you look at a number of 369 million babies aborted just in a five-year span of time. Shrugging off those numbers and even thinking about that for a moment could cause a little bit of grief, but, and we could shrug off that number, but let me bring it closer to home so that you can understand. Based on a statistic from the Mississippi Department of Health in Hines, Madison, and Rankin counties, one out of every seven pregnancies ended in abortion until this past Friday. One out of seven. One out of seven. We as the people of Mississippi, being influential in what just took place in the Supreme Court and with their overturning of Roe versus Wade and Planned Parenthood versus Casey, both 50-year and 30-year precedents that had been used throughout the nation, we as the people of Mississippi and the people of God should celebrate. We should absolutely celebrate this because it is a celebration and a victory for human life, but the fight is not over. Let me be clear in saying this. You need to understand this. I'm going to step on your toes today. (laughs) I love each and every one of you. My name is Dexter and I'm your friend, okay? CNN is not the right place for your news. Fox News is not the right place for your news. CBN and all the others are not the... Listen to me. Know what is happening in the world and don't just take some news broadcaster and run with the fact that you've heard. Verify it. I spend hours of research and development on every single message that I preach, but even more so this week to make sure that I had statistics that were true and factual. I want you to do the same because abortion was not declared illegal in the United States. That's a fact. But people on the news are saying like it has been declared illegal. No, it's it, we've eroded what we established to help federally across every nation But abortion was not declared illegal. Since it hasn't been declared illegal, the work is not done. Can I get a loud amen from people who believe in the value of human life? Amen? So, the overturning of Roe and Casey, both of which you should familiarize yourself with, 
means that each state will now decide the issue for themselves. This is a major milestone, and it was a necessary step, and I'm thankful for it. But each state now has to make their own laws and legislation for or against abortion. With every victory in this life, every victory comes responsibility. That'll preach all by itself. (laughs) With every victory you experience in this life comes responsibility. Over the last nine and a half years, we've been financially supporting the Center for Pregnancy Choices. They state clearly on their website, they do not make referrals or um, any type of help regarding abortion. What they do is they offer support, they offer prayer, they offer grace. It's a nonprofit, faith-based medical clinic with doctors in it and believers who all want to support women who are having to make some very, very hard decisions. In fact, over the last 30 years plus, they've served over 25,000 women in the metro area. And uh, they equip, they support, they encourage women to embrace God's grace, his forgiveness, to offer hope. Um, We have ministries that we support through our church like this that also involve foster care. So for all of the little yeah, yeah that happens from the world in moments like this, you better make sure that you understand where the church of God stands and we stand on the side of life and help and health. Your continued giving to missions helps things just like this. Okay, here's Truth number two, humans are the highest form of God's creative activity. Well, pastor, what about angels? I mean, they, they, they live in heaven and they go about, listen, if you read the word of God correctly, we are the only creation that he has made in his image. Because of that, we understand that humans are the highest form of God's creative activity. He's intentional and purposeful in their creation, their purpose and their destiny. We base our understanding on the nature of human beings from God's word, the Bible, which reveals that God created the universe, the world, and all living things. Listen to me. I'm trying to help you with your worldview. If you espouse evolution, then you will immediately devalue humanity. So we've been teaching it to our kids in the public sectors and in the public education forums for dozens of years now, decades, and we've allowed ourselves to get to the place where we thought, well, you know, not everybody believes in God, so let's let them think about this and let's have this theory. But listen, if you go down that path, there are dominoes that hit other things you didn't intend, which means that then now humans who are living today whether they say they believe in God or not, can come to the place of devaluing human life and not realizing that we are the highest form of God's creative activity. You can read the account in Genesis chapters one and two, but I want to help you understand by making human beings in God's image, he set them above all other forms of life on the earth. So, 
I get this question sometimes in kids' ministry and youth ministry. I've heard it even from grown-ups. Pastor, do, do cats go to hell and dogs go to heaven? No, that's just my take. <clears throat> okay, I'm moving on. Sorry. I don't want to offend anybody. I know I've got some people who are ready to just pack their bags and walk out. You should know your pastor does not appreciate God's creation known as the felines. Okay? That's just my personal take. Okay? But people have asked, Pastor, do dogs go to heaven? I mean, our family pet, he's been with us for 20 years and he just passed away. Listen, I don't know the answer to all of those things. I don't claim to. But I will tell you this, that God has designed humans in his image above all other things and given us subjective power and stewardship responsibility over the entire earth. And that sets you apart from the animals. If we get to heaven and I see my chow chow from when I was a high schooler, his name was Bear because he looked like a bear. He had a blue tongue and cinnamon fur. If I see him, I'll be very excited, okay? I'll be super excited. But in the meantime, I'm not worried about the saving of the dolphins and the whales. I'm worried about the humans. I'm worried about the humans. Yes, we should steward God's earth. We should not trash it. We should not malign it or demean it, but we should take a high view, even a higher view of humanity. The term image of God signifies like their creator, men and women are these four things. They are personal. They are spiritual in nature. They are rational. If you've ever, if you've ever dealt with a cat, you know, they're not rational. Okay, I'll get off the subject. I really want you to come back to church next week. Um, They are relational. Men and women are personal, spiritual, rational, relational. We are in the image of God who is personal, who is spiritual, who is rational, and who wants a relationship with every single human that he has created. We are intended for eternal fellowship with our creator. And this requires both male and female genders for its full expression. So though the image of God was marred by that first human man and woman who fell into sin, according to Genesis chapter 3 and repeated in Romans chapter 5, even though the image of God was marred, it is still intrinsic to every human life. Regardless of your disability or your ability, your capacity or your lack thereof, the scope of your contribution to society or even Listen to me, the originating circumstances of a human's life, every human life has value because every human is an image bearer of God. I want you to think about that because having a biblical worldview, really, this is declarative of a biblical worldview. That means that I treat people equally, whether they have a disability or an ability. 
It means whether I think they have capacity or even if a doctor has declared they no longer have a capacity, I still understand them to be valuable in the sight of God just like I am. No matter, regardless of the originating, and I hope you understand what I'm saying, the originating circumstances may involve things like rape or abuse. Every human life has value. And it is a sin to end any human life. Truth number three is this. God is sovereign over all he has created. This is important for you to understand holding a biblical worldview, you must understand that God is sovereign. Yes, he created humans with a free will. Yes, there are decisions that you can make. God did not create robots. He created you with a free will to choose this morning whether you had apple juice, orange juice, or three cups of coffee like I did. I don't like the juices. I'll just stick to the caffeine. But God is sovereign, and the proof is in the word of God. Listen to just these examples. Actually, before I do that, let me tell you this. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ and a follower of him, you believe in the sovereignty of God, and the way that's demonstrated in your daily life is prayer. Why should I pray that God blesses my business? Because I believe he's sovereign. Why should I pray that the cardiologist report and the kidney doctor and the this and the that, why do I pray for those things which I think, well, they've already been determined by someone else or a set of circumstances? No, I believe in a God who is sovereign over all, who can do a work that no one can do. Amen? Does that mean we disagree or don't use doctors and medicine? No, it just means that I pray first. Thank you that I pray first. Come on, let's make it like an old school Pentecostal church today and you just shout amen until I shut up. Amen. Amen. God is sovereign. We believe he has the ability to change the course of events. I believe and do not mistake this. I believe that millions of prayers were answered at the drop of a hat when that decision came down. Prayers over dozens of years had been answered. Prayers that had been prayed by people who have passed away already were answered on Friday here in our country. Our God is sovereign. So yes, it took some time. Yes, many bad things occurred in the interim. But that does not remove the fact that God is sovereign overall. Listen to what the word of God says. And I'm just going to shoot these examples out to you so you understand how true this is. Write these down if you want to. I'm not going to read every single one of them. Proverbs 21.1. This is a scriptural example that demonstrates God is sovereign over the heart of the most powerful in the land. The Bible gives us information that tells us he was sovereign over Pharaoh's heart. Wicked, evil Pharaoh. God is sovereign even in the midst of the rise of leadership of someone as wicked and despicable as Adolf Hitler. God is still sovereign even though bad things have occurred. 
Look at what Proverbs 16, verse 33 says. It says, even over the casting of lots, God is sovereign. What does that tell me? It actually tells me this. Even over the seemingly random events in my life, God is sovereign. Proverbs 20, 24. He's, he is sovereign over our plans and our daily activities. Romans chapter 9, verse 15 and 16 says that he's sovereign over the eternal salvation of human spirits. Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 39 says he is sovereign over life and death. You can hear these words echoed throughout the Psalms, throughout Proverbs, throughout the book of Job, all the way into the New Testament. You can hear the echo of God's sovereignty. Even in the midst of exile, God was sovereign. Even in the midst of death, God was sovereign. Even in the midst of famine, God is sovereign. The sooner you believe that and hold very dearly to that belief, the better off you are mentally and spiritually in your direction. Because when I understand God is sovereign, that doesn't take away the pain or the hurt of what I'm dealing with. Let me share with you something very, very deeply personal. Your pastor and his wife dealt with an emotional trauma Beyond anything we've felt before, many of you were with us and walked with us through that. And that was the miscarriage of a child. If I don't hold dearly and foundationally as my cornerstone of belief that God is sovereign over all that he has created, even in the midst of life or death, then I would have lost my mind. We have to understand that God is sovereign. So when we get this, in, in, if we really get this into our spirit, then it starts to help formulate our opinion of other things that happen in this life. Amos chapter three, verse six, and I would encourage you to write this one down and go and read it later and the whole context with which it happens. God is even sovereign over evil. It's hard. It's hard to wrap your mind around this. It's hard to understand. But here's the thing. God is all seeing. He's all knowing. He's all hearing. Come on, somebody. God is sovereign. So every human life has intrinsic value. Possessing a worldview that has this as its cornerstone means that we've got to firmly believe God is sovereign. We may not always understand why he chooses to wait. We may not always, we may not always understand why bad things happen to good people. We may not always understand why we have to walk through the traumas and the dramas of this life the way that we do but we must hold on to the truth of God's word that he's sovereign over all. Truth number four, every human life from conception until death is to be protected, respected, valued, and nurtured. I want you to say the word with me every, every, every. I don't know what type of 
material you may have heard before, what speakers you may have heard and where your life has taken you. But I've had the honor and the privilege of hearing some amazing messages by believers who were the uh, product of something unsavory like rape. But the mother chose to keep the baby, chose to maybe then give it up for adoption, whatever the case may be. Listen, every human life from its conception until its death is to be protected. You know, there's something so awesome. You should look this up. There's actually, you know, we talk about when, you know, teenagers fall in love or your high school sweetheart and you got married, sparks fly. Did you know that sparks literally fly inside the womb of a woman when the male seed meets the egg? created by zinc proteins, there's an explosion of life at the very moment that they meet. That's powerful. Life begins at conception. Okay, I'm giving away some of my notes. I'm jumping ahead is what I mean. Let's answer a few questions though. I want to be very clear on this. There is no exemption and no exception. Every human life should be protected, respected, valued, and nurtured. Question number one that often happens is when does human life begin? The clear answer, this is a scientific fact, is at fertilization, at conception. That is the moment that life begins. When the male sperm and the female egg unite, they give rise to a new genetically distinct human being at that very moment, which is so awesome. I mean, how many of you ladies have given birth? Just raise your hand. Thank you. (laughs) I, I was in the room with my wife both times. Oh, dear Lord. Gosh, what a, what a labor of love that is to give birth. But have you ever really thought after the fact of just the miracle that occurs that God would allow another human to be formed and fed and nurtured and developed inside of the human mother? It's amazing when you consider it. He is amazing when you consider it that he's given us the ability to reproduce, to actually obey him, to reproduce, and to fill the earth. So don't be misled by popular talking points, by abortionists or abortion rights advocates when they say things like, it's just an embryo until it has limbs, or until there's a heartbeat, or until this. Those things have been determined by evil and wicked intentioned people in order to allow the murder of the unborn. We must hold to the biblical truth that life begins when the man and woman unite in the holiest of ways in the covenant of marriage in order to create new life. I've even heard the wickedly disgusting phrase of actually women who are interviewed, who are abortions rights advocates saying, it's nothing more than a parasite that's growing. If they have any children, I wonder how that makes their children feel. But I know that it grieves the heart of God 
we should understand human life begins at fertilization, at conception. Listen to what Psalm 139 says. And we've said this recently in a different message, but I want to encourage you to truly listen to the words of the psalmist. The Bible says this was a psalm of David. Verse 13, he says, For you formed my inward parts, and you knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance, and in your book were written every one of the days of my life that were formed for me before I even lived a single one. It's incredible when you think, and you, you uh, just hear me out. This isn't because David sat around going, God loves me so much better than you. He did something special. David is actually doing something that was prophetically to be used for the rest of every human generation to help people understand that you have inherent intrinsic value and purpose. Amen? So, anything done to intentionally harm that new genetically distinct human violates God's eternal word and his moral law. Plain and simple, Well, let me say it like this. Plainly spoken, but absolutely not simple, is the statement, abortion is murder. And God's word outlaws murder. I want to pause to emphasize God's grace, his forgiveness to those who have committed, listen to me, who have committed any sin, that is confessed and repented of. If you confess your sins to God and you repent, that means turn away from them and turn towards him. He guarantees he will accept you. You don't have to do anything more than that to get to that first place. Yes, there's a lot of life to live after and there is a call to holiness for every believer, but every sin that is confessed and repented of is allowed by God to be forgiven by his grace. So his grace is far reaching. I use the example, have used it before several times. Um, The son of Sam, a serial killer in New York, came to faith in Christ. God forgave him. If we believe that God can forgive somebody like Adolf Hitler, even if we, if we can believe that God can forgive our father or our mother for the wrong that they've done against us, if we can believe that God can forgive a president, surely God can forgive anything in his grace that he chooses to. And God's word is clear that your sins have been washed in the blood of Jesus. If you believe in him, come to him in faith, confessing your sins and repenting of those sins going in his direction. So we as the people of God have a, an awesome opportunity and a monumental responsibility in a moment like this.
to warmly receive with grace and forgiveness and support those who have been abused, those who are the orphan, those who are the fatherless, those who are the widowed, even the unwed mother. God's call throughout all of time has been that we treat one another with respect and with dignity, seeing that each one is an image bearer of God. And here's the problem, church. For the longest time, for a very long time, we have allowed ourselves to rely on the government to do what the church failed to do and should have been doing and what the church has been called to do. What the church is called to do is to serve the widowed, the fatherless, the orphan, the poor, the needy, the unwed mother. All of those people in all of those categories, we have a call to support and give grace. Yes, it's hard. Yes, it's messy. We've experienced it in this life, these different sort of chaotic messes. But here's what we've got to do. Make a choice to move forward with grace, love, and care to these individuals. So don't rely on the government. Right now, I don't know if you're familiar with it, and we're not talking about major solutions today, and I know everybody's on Facebook for the last 48 hours, you know, yeah, yeah, about all the details of everything. And don't forget this, just celebrate, okay? We can move on. <laughs> we can move on from the celebration. But it's awesome to know that the church of God is rising up and that there are foster care ministries. It's hard to deal with the fact that even in the state of Mississippi, Amy and I have personal friends who are right now in the midst of an adoption process that has taken well over a year and a half. It's expensive. There are things to be done in order to alleviate those, th those issues, but we cannot trust the state. We cannot trust the government to do those things which God has called the church to do. So support those things. Be involved in those things. Don't be a couch potato Christian. That's not in my notes, but it's worth writing down. Let's talk about the, the last question that we'll cover today. And this is strange to talk about from a platform, but I'm going to do it. What about contraceptives? If we talked about the dignity of human life, if we talk about the value of human life, um, we are living in a world system, and in America, we're living in a place where over the last several decades, they've been handing out contraceptives to teenagers and high schools and things like that. So the question is, what about contraceptives? The plain answer is this. There's no scriptural mandate regarding them. But I need to give you a little bit more help than that. Modern contraceptives didn't exist in the pre-scientific context that the Bible was written in. They've been developed over time to help regulate family uh, numbers in family. Like, I, I, I don't want 12 kids. I'm not a millionaire. I don't know how to do that. So let's, we can talk about having contraceptives being used so that my wife and I still have a marriage covenant and vows that are practiced, but don't produce children. Here's the thing. 
If we talk about contraceptives, we've got to understand these are matters of personal conscience. These are matters of personal conscience, but there is something important to understand with this regarding ethical issues in determining whether to have a family, how many children to have, and all those things. That is an ethical issue that's your issue, your personal conscience. But the prevention of pregnancy is qualitatively different than the termination of a pregnancy. Do you understand? I know this is not science class and I'm not a doctor or a scientist, but there's a qualitative difference. There's a huge marked difference between prevention and something that we would say is the termination of pregnancy. The biological process that God himself in his creative design allows for in the human body allows that not every sperm or ovum is intended to survive and unite. But be warned, there are some medical devices and medications out there that are touted as a preventive contraceptive, but in reality are, an, uh, are a method of not just preventing, but actually aborting or terminating a pregnancy. There are certain circumstances where couples may choose not to have children for very good reasons, but the use of contraception merely to avoid the demands of child rearing ought to be prayerfully examined. Ah, man, I hope you're listening. You say, Pastor, I've already got kids and grandkids. This does not apply to me. It does, because you're called to be the light in the world. You got great-grandkids. They might even have kids at this point. Listen to me. You are called to be the light in the world. And if for nothing else, this conversation may not occur with the bag boy at the grocery store, but it definitely might come up when the granddaughter says, Grandpa, I found the one I'm going to marry. You've got a responsibility. Do you understand where I'm going? Okay. I know some of you are like, contraception, what, pastor? Listen, child rearing ought to be prayerfully examined in terms of your ability and all of that stuff, but using contraception for personal, selfish gain or lack of gain, we could say, needs to really be considered in prayer. There is a divine mandate given to all of humanity to fill the earth and multiply it. In fact, the birth rate is in decline in many places in the world. Yes, the economy's tough. Yes, it's hard to have kids. Yes, a hospital visit's expensive. A birth is expensive. I get it. I have two children. I understand but we cannot be at the place where we forsake God's divine mandate simply because we selfishly want to just live as long as we want to without fulfilling that mandate. Regarding the dignity of human life, there are other subjects to cover, but I can't do that today. This involves things like in vitro fertilization, surrogacy, cloning. You say, pastor, that's just for the movies. No, it's not. Stem cell research, all of these things are ethical things that we can find 
the understanding of, even if it is a modern thing, we can look at an ancient text that was written and authored by our creator through his inspiration to humans to be able to understand how to deal with these things, like genetic intervention and even things like euthanasia. There are many solutions that can be utilized by the church of Jesus Christ. There are many people, we need to understand this, that are right now wrestling with the news that has come out. I believe every single one of us should not only uphold the value of human life, but we should play a role, we should play a part in helping others see the value of human life. If that means walking in a 5K that happens every year for the Centers for Pregnancy Choices, if that means making a decision today to have conversations about purity and abstinence with family members who are young and coming up, if that means today that you seek forgiveness for the decision that you've made in the past and you seek God's grace, wherever you stand in that, I encourage you to take action Make it a matter of prayer. Make it a matter of prayer. And don't, let's not be the people of God who are high on the hog, high on the horse, with our nose stuck up in the air saying, ha ha, na 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 boo boo. That is not what this is about. This is about us celebrating that there is a victory to be had. When we can see that instead of in 2019, over 600,000 babies being aborted, maybe in the year 2023, that number will have declined and decreased by hundreds of thousands. But then there comes the other parts. We've got to have adoption efforts and all the other things that are rolling in the right direction. Pray, God, what are you calling me to do? He might have a very unique answer for every single one of you in this room today. Would you close your eyes and bow your heads with me? As the worship team plays this encore, I really want you to ask, Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me? Whisper that prayer to him today right now. Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me? We believe that you are a God who still hears, who knows all things, who is sovereign over all. And we believe that you are a God who still speaks to his people. Holy Spirit, speak and help us as a church to rise up in this moment in ways that we've never done before so that we can see others understand the value of human life and Lord so that we would have an opportunity to speak and share with them the hope of the gospel of Jesus Christ.